Welcome to Psych for Psychology, a Nystrom & Associates podcast. Our host, Brett Cushing, is a licensed marriage and family therapist at Nystrom. Each week, he talks about all things mental health and therapy with guests, and you get a chance to dive into specific psychology topics that help promote personal development and wellness. And now, your host, Brett. Hello and welcome to another edition of Psych for Psychology. We're glad to have you today. We are going to be talking about shame Mm -hmm. and a very applicable topic. And we try to keep it all very applicable, make therapy approachable. And it's funny because we talk about trying to make the podcast approachable. And when I think about shame, Krista, I think about the negative effects of it. And it's like... I tend to see when we are experiencing shame, kind of the outcome is we shut down and we shut others out. We're not very approachable. Sure. Um, we don't find the world very approachable. And so I know you've done some teaching on this. I mm-hmm. took a, a graduate course on this. And I know our listeners are very attentive because mm-hmm. shame is a very common occurrence for everybody. It's not that anybody has the corner on this market of shame. Right. No, I think that's a really, a really good way to kick us off. And I, I wonder, I'm actually, now I'm thinking maybe we should start with like, let's make a differentiation between guilt and shame. Yeah. Because I, I think those two are commonly mixed up. I know a lot of times I'll ask my clients, how do you feel? And they'll say, well, I feel guilty. Yes. Right. And I'll say, and I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, I remember in my class, this was really helpful that I took mm-hmm. and I use this a lot. I say, well, that's, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. Leading with validation. <laughs> Always. And understandable makes sense that you're feeling that way. Now, guilt, I would say, is it's not a feeling, actually. Mm-hmm. It, guilt is an objective thing. Mm-hmm. Our feelings are a subjective thing. So I would say to say I feel guilty would be kind of equivalent to me saying to you, you know what? I feel really pregnant. And when you were setting that up, I was like, what is he about to say? Right, yeah. I, and it kind of uh, has that it effect. delivered. Right. No pun that, intended. It, <laughs> it really does help kind of put it in perspective because, yes. you know, like my clients could say to me, Brett, you know, maybe they would lead with validation. Say, well, it makes sense that you, you feel that way. And sure. um, you're not pregnant. Right. And you can't be pregnant. So it's, it's right. pointing out that me being pregnant is independent of how I subjectively feel. Sure. And guilt is very much the same way. Guilt is an objective thing. Either you are guilty or you are not. Good point. And then shame follows logically if I actually am guilty of something. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, so there's so one of my favorite books um, is called Facing Shame. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the authors are Fossum and Mason. And they actually spent a little time with and I have I love charts where it's like okay in this column is guilt and then in this column is shame. So um, guilt in kind of our first column involves actions or behaviors, whereas shame involves kind of a person's sense of self worth. So guilt we would say is like I've done something wrong versus right. there is something wrong with me as a person. Right. Shame is a very generalized I am wrong. Right. Like me in in my being. Whereas guilt is like, I've done an action that I should not have done. Right. right? And in that sense, I think the action is, 
it's objective. Mm-hmm. You can see it. Yep. Uh, and yep. it, it, it's actually even measurable a lot of times. Right. And so it's, it's an right. objective thing that you can look at and yep. say, yeah, right. This, right. this was something you might be guilty of. Right. Right. Exactly. So a couple, another statement where where we're dealing with guilt, not shame is I've made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And then, but the shame version of that is I'm the mistake. So again, just that, like I did something versus I am something. Um, What I did was not good is a guilt statement. And then, but if you're thinking of it in terms of shame, I'm no good. So I think you're probably getting the point by this time. Like it's, it's like the person who they are deep down is the shame. And then guilt is just like, can we measure it? Can we see it? What was the behavior? Right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And what I what I found helpful for myself, yep. and this I, I do with clients as well, is when they say, I feel guilty, and I explain that guilt is objective, yep. not subjective, I, I tell them, like, the what we can do then is mm-hmm. just ask ourselves, well, am I guilty? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Have I right. done something wrong. Right. And that can clear it up a lot of times. However, there's sometimes when we do believe yep. we are guilty. We are, we believe objectively, I have done something wrong mm-hmm. and yep. we haven't done anything wrong. And so I think sometimes, for instance, like when people I find tend to deny themselves, deny, deny, deny themselves mm-hmm. and defer to other people all the time mm. when they start to do some self-care yes. and be assertive for themselves, it feels as though they're being selfish. Yes. And so there's this belief, I'm guilty for yeah. actually standing up for myself. I'm guilty for setting a boundary. I'm guilty for doing self-care mm-hmm. when in reality, they're not guilty right. of doing anything wrong. Right. Exactly. That's another great point. Um, since we were kind of talking about this book by Fossum and Mason, this book, Facing Shame, I did grab a quote from it because it kind of, I thought, was a nice working definition of shame. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll just read kind of parts of it here. It says, shame is an inner sense of being completely diminished as a person. It is the self-judging the self. Mm. A moment of shame may be humiliation so painful or an indignity so profound that one feels one has been robbed of his or her dignity or exposed as basically inadequate. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And I think people are listening, yeah. uh, including myself listening, yep. and saying, hey, I can really identify right? with that. Because mm-hmm. it, I think inherent within it is mm-hmm. this all or nothing mentality sure. about oneself. I know for myself, as I've had to work on shame in my own life, Yep. I have had to realize, yeah, I just throw the baby out with the bathwater in relation to myself. Somebody once told me, <laughs> therapist I had seen said, you know, Brett, if you could give yourself half of the grace you give to other people, right. you'd be so much better off. And yes. I'll be very quick to give grace to just about anybody and oh, maybe yeah. to a fault. And understanding. and yep. Right. Yep. And offer none of that to myself, or at least I, I used to because sure. of shame. Right. Right, before and, therapy. And then therapy right. helped you yes. kind of recognize that, right? Yeah, it helped yep. me see, you know, some of those blind spots and specifically like when inherent within Fossum's definition mm-hmm. there, the the all or nothing mentality we fall into with yes. shame is like I am all bad. Yes, exactly. And exactly. I, I like to challenge clients with that. It's like Good. do you notice the double standard? Mm. Like somebody else you'll give grace to. They're not necessarily all bad, but yet Mm -hmm. you have to hold on to this belief that you are. 
Right. Right. So yeah. And, and giving grace to somebody and not giving grace to yourself. I was just kind of thinking like how, you know, what does that look like really? So if giving grace to another person is like, if somebody's running late for, you know, an appointment, with you, Brett. Okay. Are you going to say because I called and said I'm running late? No, today, I promise I'm not. I have a lot of shame. You guys, like- Brett was late today. No, but but here's this is actually a real life example that's happening right. to me, right? So like, Brett calls me. He's like, I'm running five minutes late, and I'm just sitting there like, oh my gosh, that is totally fine. Like I'm that's that's totally fine. And I and but yet what I the week before when I was running late, I was like 15 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> I was first of all running later, so that wasn't great. But I I didn't have the same approach that I did to Brett when he called. I didn't have that same approach to myself. But mm. and I was able I'm able to recognize that and not like dwell on it. But I think there was a time in my life where I did dwell on it and mm-hmm. think to myself, like, gosh, why can't I get it together? Like that self-talk, right? That's just that can be really Toxic. Right? Toxic. And what, what's so uh, dangerous about it is we're not even aware that we're doing this. Yes. We have this conversation going on inside of ourselves mm-hmm. and we are completely unaware. And yep. I, I've heard numerous times that we have about 70, 80,000 different thoughts a day and conversations like that. Mm-hmm. 77% of those are negative. So we're talking 55,000, give mm-hmm. or take, of negative thoughts. Now, of that 55,000, mm-hmm. 90% of those are just regurgitated over and over and over oh and over gosh. again. And I would bet dollars to donuts that of that, many of them are shame-based. And mm. we have no idea that we're having this yeah. shame-based conversation with ourselves. Right. Right. Dollars to donuts. I like that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> that was my takeaway from that. what you were saying, Brett. <laughs> but I'm not going to shame myself. For for distracted, just by, getting just, momentarily distracted. You just want donuts I do want in the morning on Friday, and <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, so then I thought, okay, what can shame be detected from the outside? Because when you were mm. saying earlier, you were kind of talking about subjective experience, which in my mind is like internally, like so a subjective experience is like it's in me. It's mm. not something others can necessarily see. Correct. Uh, yeah, Ish. I never really thought about it that way. <laughs> okay. that, you get me thinking. Keep going. Oh, good, good. Okay. So then um, what the reason I, I thought about this with shame is like shame seems to be such a personal experience. It has to do with our thoughts and our feelings and our body sensations. So what are some signs of shame that you could detect in another person? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I when you say ask that question, yeah. I think of those videos of dogs. When yes. the owner comes home and the dog and there's is like garbage tore everywhere. Up or, yeah, and and they are just they're wanting you to hide tell. their face. Okay, actually that I'm glad you mentioned that because this this is more from Mason and Fossum is there is kind of some of those things like a slumped posture mm-hmm. or um you'll notice people won't meet your eyes. So sometimes when I'm working with clients um and we start to talk about a topic that's, you know, really difficult to talk about, they'll look down, right? Right. And that doesn't mean they did anything wrong, but it's just like, it's a response, like a human response. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one might be blushing or, or tears, like someone, some might cry. Um, And then I guess there's some more general patterns. So those are like more of the, in the moment things to notice. And then general patterns of shame, like would be maybe overachieving, Mm-hmm. Or perfectionism or like compulsions or addictions, but that's not so observable as in like body language. So, no, that makes sense. And mm-hmm. it's so, in other words, we, in a very generalized sense, we want to avoid and we want to hide. 
Yes, shame is shame. all about hiding. It's all about hiding. Yep. I remember, uh, so, you know, I used to be a pastor. And yes. so I was up in front and uh, I was, you know, leading a prayer or something. Thank God it was a prayer. People had their eyes closed. <laughs> I came back, I sat down, my wife said, your fly is open. No. Can you believe <laughs> so I wanted to run. I wanted to get out of there. I bet you and, did. And uh, it was hilarious. It was really right, funny. Right, right, well, And so. Well, actually, it, we're, so this is a preview, too, of what's to come. So, like, humor is an antidote to shame. Mm. Like, the ability to laugh at ourselves is actually one of the antidotes to shame. Some people might go so far as to say laughter is the best medicine. <laughs> Some might, yes. Yeah, and uh, if you're intrigued by that, you got to listen to our number one downloaded podcast yes. on that title, Is, is Laughter, Laughter the, the Best, best medicine? medicine? So you're saying that that is really helpful for us with shame. Right, because when, when you were sharing that example, I was just picturing like, oh my gosh, like that must have been so embarrassing. But then right, right after you said like it was hilarious. And that just shows, again, like your ability to kind of, I mean, hindsight, things are funnier in hindsight, right? But like it shows your ability to kind of be like, well... It happened, like it was a moment in time, and it's funny. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I think what we're doing then is we're resisting that urge to run away. We're yes. resisting to avoid, mm-hmm. and we're leaning into it a little bit more and yep. embracing it. Exactly. Let me see if there's any other little tidbits here about shame. Because um, I know, too, we have some stuff on vulnerability, which is another antidote to shame. I and, don't know if we want to skip ahead to that. Well, we have another podcast on <gasps> vulnerability and the benefits of it. And, and so shame does have that sense of vulnerability, too. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's very visceral. It's so profound. It's mm-hmm. not just sort of a like 5 out of 10 feeling. Shame right. can be like 10 out of 10. I, oh I remember yes. one of my professors, uh, she, t- she said, shame is this belief that there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. that's not wrong with anybody else. Oh. And I think Brene Brown talks about that too, is this fear that you're not enough and that you, because you're not enough, you will be rejected mm. for your weaknesses. Wow. And how this this idea overtakes the prefrontal cortex of our brain mm-hmm. and it actually initiates that fight or flight response within us. Wow. And there's another book, a oh, small little paperback book. I love the title and I can summarize it very quickly. It's like the 1970s. It's entitled, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Really Am? Whoa. I want to get that book. It's so good. I'll give it to you. It's yes. so small. And, and, but Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Okay. The answer is, is rooted in shame. The reason I'm afraid to tell you who I really am or let you see who I really am is because that's all I've got. Wow. And I can't really do much about it. Right. right? So I, if, if you reject me right. for who I ultimately really am, well, that's all I've got. I've got nothing left. So we spend wow. all this time playing games and making sure we're presenting our best image of ourselves because I know that if I let people see the real me, yes, that's all I've got. And if they reject that, uh, that's all I've got. And so there's shame, uh, this belief that there's something so inherently wrong with me that's right. not wrong with other people. Yep. Yep. Actually, you know what? That makes me think about a um, little self-disclosure here. Mm-hmm. When I so <laughs> when I got into therapy, um, my therapist had me make a list of memories. And we were doing EMDR, but, um, but this is helpful either way. Uh, and one of my first memories was I was in third grade. And it was the eye vision test. Do you remember yes, those where yes. you had to like cover each eye and you had to read the letters and we all went to the gymnasium. And so we were coming back from 
that test and my score. So third grade, I think my vision was like 80, 20 or something. Mm. And all the other kids were like, my vision's 20, 20. And they were all comparing and whatever. And I just had, I remember the strongest shame response of like, there is something, because what triggered this memory for me just now is there's something wrong with me that's not wrong with anybody else. Yes. And so again, when you're in third grade, that is a big deal. Like, you know, as adults, we might not have that shame response, but this is where our shame kind of can come from and originate, right? I'm so glad you brought that yeah. up. Yeah. Because Brene Brown talks about that too. Yeah. Like, where does this come from? Right. Like that the, the roots of shame are yep. often built at home or mm-hmm. she even says at school, right? As a result mm-hmm. of our interactions with right. peers, with authority figures, teachers, siblings. At right. Home. Right. So if a teacher calls like, a student stupid mm-hmm. um, in front of the class for yep. forgetting something. Yep, that can stay with a, a child. So, for instance, I just remembered <laughs> something too. Yeah, I in my music class growing up. Okay, here we go. Uh, I there was a song "We Willy Winky." And <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to not. Yeah, right. I'm going to try to. Be so like, it was an echo, and okay. she was calling on people to do the echo in the back of the classroom. Oh so wow! The class would sing "We Willy Winky," and then like. The echo would sing "We Willy Winky." Okay, just like a little prolonged exposure therapy. There you go. This is good. This, this is because good. I was in the back doing the echo with all sincerity and mm-hmm. really thinking I've got you know a good singing voice. Who you know who doesn't? Well, yeah. And so I'm in the back giving it my all. The teacher, oh, no. I was so bad that the teacher actually thought I was trying to be funny. So she she was laughing, and the entire oh, no. class was laughing. And it's <laughs> really funny. I didn't find it funny at the time. No, 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 but you've probably worked on it. But it was in I tried to join in the fun and the laughter, but inside as a kid I was mortified. It was everything to hold back tears. There you go. And I was glad I had this 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 front, this mask, so see? people couldn't see there you go. how devastated I was yep. by that shame. So yep. I I really, I only sing like out loud in the car by myself, uh, even to this day, and for the first time here on the podcast, a little bit with Wee Willie Winky. <laughs> and nonetheless, it shows exactly what you're saying, which Brene yep. Brown says that yep. as a child, mm-hmm. these things are uh, kind of instilled within us or mm-hmm. conclusions we draw from mm-hmm. peers, from teachers, from siblings, from parents. Yep. And oftentimes, like my teacher was. Not doing anything intentional to make me feel bad. That's about the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. And so often it's not intentional. I remember when I got back to the classroom after the vision test and I was kind of realizing like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to have to get glasses and none of my mm. friends or peers are going to. And I remember I was crying. And again, the teacher, you know, not really probably knowing the best way to respond, got really upset with me because I wouldn't stop crying. And I was hiding in the coat room or whatever. Mm. And so, like, it was this whole thing about it's not just that I'm getting glasses, but now my teacher's upset with me and I'm crying too much. And it was, like, (laughs) such such a shameful experience. But, again, when we're so young, we take everything personally. We take everything so hard and we're so naive and innocent, right? You had talked about that on a previous podcast about how we are as children and the way our minds work. Do you remember talking about that? Can you share that again? Because I think that really relates. I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you prompted that because as a child, so developmentally for survival purposes, we are so focused on ourselves as little ones. We're not conscious of other people because we're all about survival. We're hardwired that way. Mm -hmm. So anything that happens in our environment 
most of it has nothing to do with us and is not personal, but mm-hmm. we take it on as personal. And so this was one of those things where I was a little kid ashamed about getting glasses, upset and crying. My teacher's trying to just like move along with the day and teach math, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe didn't handle it the best, but I don't know. But again, I took all that on as like, I'm, I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm right. Like the shame stuff we're talking about, but now having had a chance to go through it again and process it later in life, I can go back and, and see like, wow, that was a that was a tough moment in my life. And did it, you know, people are always kind of like, well, that's not trauma. And, you know, like, is that really? And it's like, well, it, it's, it that doesn't matter. Helps, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Like, says, well, that's really not trauma. Right. Come on. Right. Well, you and know. thankfully no one said that to me, but I know there's some skeptics out there who well, are there like, are. Yeah. who are like, why would that be a formative or like a traumatic thing for you? And it's like, because of what we're describing where life or death for kids, it's like life or yeah. death everything's life or death. So if I'm excluded mm. from my peer group, if the adults are upset with me, I'm threatened. I'm not going to survive because we're social creatures. Like we're, yeah, and we so need to much belong. of trauma and shame mm-hmm. are not based uh, objectively on things. <laughs> exactly. Because people, people can look and, and they're thinking objectively, this isn't a big deal. Like what's the big deal? Right. And yet it, it, it's a big deal because subjectively, not how we're feeling per se. It's the meaning we attach to a traumatic event or to an event right. that determines if it's traumatic for me. It's my interpretation right. of this and the same with shame that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can look back and it's pretty funny that story, you know, in my music class at yeah. the time, yep. the meaning I had was, there you go. I am wrong. I am a mistake. Yes. I am uh, I'm, I'm going to be rejected. Right. You know, I'm, I'm right. different than everybody else. Yep. And as a kiddo, those beliefs are, are, they, they happen and then they can kind of be reinforced. That's the lens by which we look at the world. Yes. Yes, exactly. So then I was thinking like, okay, what if, like, how would we counteract that situation mm-hmm. either for a kid or for an adult? Cause I mean, a logical next question is like, okay, a kid has to get glasses. A kid's upset. A kid makes a mistake in music class. So what are the healthy adults supposed to do about that to like help that kid? Right. And again, this is how we can reparent ourselves once we know what that kid needed. Mm-hmm. But I think a big part of it is just talking and asking questions. So again, I think one of the reasons that that whole experience was difficult for me is I never had a chance to talk it through with anybody Mm -hmm. and be like, here's what happened at school today. You know, here's, we all went to the gym and tell the story. And that's why so often my clients are like, well, why is it helpful to tell these stories that have happened to me? And it's like, because you never had a chance to before. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Right. And I think when, when these shame induced kind of experiences happen to us, yeah, always, we don't have a greater context. It's sort of like when you zoom in on something, yeah. you don't see a broader context. Yes. If, I, if you hold your hand up in front of, if I hold my hand up in front of my face, I can't see you. Right. All I see is my hand. But when I zoom out, yep. I have much greater context to understand things. And as kids, like you're saying, mm-hmm. All we see is like what's right in front of us. We don't have greater context, greater understanding. Yes. And so later in life, we might have that opportunity to pull back, mm-hmm. see a greater context. Right. And you know what? Sometimes it's shame still stays with us. It's, yep. it's not quite that easy. Right. Right. It's just ongoing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's finding the times when it pops up and saying like, okay, I'm experiencing shame right now. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I love Brene Brown's work so much. Um, the way she talks about this, because she'll talk about vulnerability and almost like just admitting to other people and to yourself, like, yeah, I, I'm having a tough time. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the keys to overcoming shame, maybe we can transition into that so we can give some tangible things. Brene Brown talks about in in, in her, I, I know it's book and yep. on YouTube, there's a video, The Power of Vulnerability. Yep. And it's the idea of moving into and leaning into our weaknesses, the things that we feel ashamed about. And yeah. it's sort of rather than hiding, we feel that hiding is where we find safety. Mm-hmm. And in reality, when we continually hide, it creates anxiety because there's all this pressure to stay hidden yes and instead she would talk about being open mm-hmm. um, leaning into the vulnerability and expose it like hey this is what i struggle with yeah yep. and it's disarming and not only with with you it helps other people oh my gosh to be yes. disarmed around you right you can almost feel a difference if you share something or make yourself somewhat vulnerable. And it can just be something like a, like telling someone something about yourself or, Mm -hmm. um, and it's like people relax a little bit because it's like, Oh, they're kind of letting their mask down. Now I can kind of let mine down a little bit and I don't have to be so on guard. Right. About, am I going to be found out? (laughs) And we do talk about this in our previous podcast on the power of vulnerability. Vulnerability uh, actually affords connection. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're talking about. But when we let shame dominate and we notice that we're hiding, Mm -hmm. what does that do? That inhibits connection with other people. So we do, and I talked about this on a podcast once before, like we do behavior chains and notice how my thoughts affect my feelings, my feelings affect my behaviors. Nice. And there's this very common kind of human experience that I I see repeatedly, I see with myself, that I have thoughts of should, that Mm. I should be this or I shouldn't have done that. Shoulds lead to shame. Mm. And shame leads to shutting down and shutting others out. And so it's a very common pattern within human uh, existence that should leads to shame. Should leads to shame. Shame leads to shut down and shutting others out. Now, I work with a a population that tends to have high suicidal ideation and urges for suicide. And and they especially notice should, shame, shut down because the ultimate expression Mm. of shutting down and shutting others out is suicide. Wow. And a lot I hadn't thought of it in quite that way before. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. And it really shows the the power uh, of shame. Yes. That we can have that ultimate expression of shutting down, shutting others out. Yep. Simply because of shame. I've I've often said shame and I believe this, shame is uh the most damaging uh force on the planet. Well I Actually, right as you were saying that, I was I was realizing I should probably mention um, about addiction as well. You mm, know, because yes. I think a lot of times it's like, well, why why do some people get addicted to things so badly that they're willing to basically like destroy their entire life mm-hmm. for the sake of their addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like what I've learned to, to how I've learned to think about it is there's a lot of shame there, right? And because the addiction, what the addiction does is it covers the shame and it, and it, it like numbs it and it takes it, you know, it's this illusion. Exactly. It's an illusion of taking the pain and the shame away. So it's like, I can't really come out of this because when I do, there's all this shame waiting for me. 
right? Right. Especially yeah. when we talk about addictions. Mm-hmm. We just talked uh, recently about yep. pornography and how yep. people can get addicted to yep. pornography. Right. We certainly can't talk about that. Talk about shame. Mm-hmm. And it's really important. I think it really underscores what we talk a lot about on this podcast of yep. leading with validation with other people. We need to lead with uh, with validation, yep. not condemnation. We don't lead with shoulds we don't lead with change Mm -hmm. and that is not only true with how we lead with other people but especially true and how i lead in my own conversations with myself i have to learn how to lead with validation and be able to at least say to myself it makes sense yes it makes sense so really two things uh one kind of lean into and expose and Mm -hmm. and be vulnerable Mm -hmm. so vulnerability yep and validation yes. uh, towards oneself. Hey, we're keeping it in the V's. Like validation I was going to say, and- well, you have so many, I've noticed too over the recordings that we've done together, <laughs> Brett, is you have so many helpful things. Like even the should, wait, what is it? Should, should shame, and to- shut down. Yeah, should, yeah. shame, shut down, vulnerability and validation. I mean, it's like, yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Oh, it's well, easy to, it makes it easier to remember. That's why I <laughs> do it. For it's, me. it's easy for me to remember that <laughs> exactly. if I overcome shame, I need to overcome it by being vulnerable and realize right. as I'm vulnerable, I'm okay. There you go. And and as, as I validate and mm-hmm. I, I validate other people, I also need to be validating myself. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. and it, but also I think, can't think of a V word for this, but I, okay. I do think of, of just noticing the idea that when I'm feeling shame, it's mm-hmm. this all or nothing mentality yes. that I'm engaged in. And, mm-hmm. and those should statements that we have about ourselves mm-hmm. are really all or nothing. I shouldn't have done this. I right. shouldn't have made a mistake. I right. shouldn't have done this other thing. Yep. And so I am no good at all. There's nothing redemptive, nothing yep. inherently good about me whatsoever. Right. Right. So we got three. Okay. Three ways to deal with shame. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Validation, especially with ourselves. I can't think of a V word for just being mindful of our all or nothing kind of thinking. Yep. Yep. I think what can also help is is sort of asking ourselves, kind of getting back to this idea of guilt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if I believe I'm guilty of something, I will have shame. Ah. And so I need to ask myself, am, am I guilty of anything? And... So if yep. if uh, I've done something that really isn't wrong and I'm feeling shame, that can be liberating right away. Right. That, oh, okay. And so maybe the word is verify. Let's, uh, <gasps> Brett, you've done it again. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So we verify that, yeah, I actually, I didn't do anything wrong. And nice. I think that can be really helpful. Now, sometimes maybe we have done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And is shame ever here's a tough one is Ooh. shame ever appropriate <gasps> oh my gosh that was such a perfect transition because there is such a thing as healthy shame did you know that no but i kind of wanted to go dun 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 <laughs> when you said that dun 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 i agree with you yeah i'm glad you brought that so up so now we're kind of i'm just going to kind of cite um so john bradshaw you've maybe heard of john bradshaw he's yeah. written some books like um shame or uh shame in the family or he's Mm -hmm. done a lot of work on various things about shame. So he actually talks about how just like there are two kinds of cholesterol, healthy 
Oh, yes. Um, HDL and toxic LDL cholesterol. So also are there two forms of shame? There's innate shame. Mm-hmm. And then there's toxic slash life-destroying shame. Right. So basically then, which, you know, you know, I love my my differentiations here. So healthy shame is kind of like just our, our sense of being human, right? Like we're all subject to making mistakes. Yes. Um, we can experience things and then we find out our limits, right? Right. Like where, you know, if I, if I overextend myself um, and I kind of make mess something up, it's like, well, there's no reason to go into toxic shame about that, but it's more like, oh, I'm learning that like, I can't do everything all the time, <laughs> right? It's like, I've just learned my, my boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, healthy shame gives us more of a sense of dignity where it's like, I'm going to protect myself mm. and we can kind of critically examine our conscience. So contrasting that with toxic shame, which is back to what you were saying about all or nothing thinking with toxic shame, we're either too rigid or we're not rigid enough. So we either have too many walls and boundaries or we don't have enough. And we're like all like all over the place out of control. (laughs) Right. Right. That's helpful. Yeah. Right. Um, And same with we are either with toxic shame, we're either out of control of our behavior or we're overly controlling. Mm -hmm. Um, And then. With toxic shame, we might experience rage or be passive aggressive. So again, it's like we're not we're not doing the mindful middle, like we're not right. doing the, the middle way, the wise right. mind way, right? Yes. Um, and so with toxic shame too, there's a there's a tendency to be more like um, scrupulous, I guess, like pur- puritanical or like um, what's the right word? You're just like overly conscious about every little thing, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. So hypervigilant so or yeah. hypervigilant exactly okay. right with like oh my gosh I did this thing now I have to almost more obsessive right yes so those are kind of what are your thoughts on on the two different you know different I think it's helpful for people because there is a place for shame in our lives and right uh, I'm glad you brought it up because this is one of my big bugaboos in in our <laughs> field is okay good uh, yeah there's so much emphasis understandably about toxic shame yep. And what do we tell clients? Shame is an emotion. Mm. And what do we say? Emotions aren't good or, or bad. bad. And yet, what do we say about shame? Shame is bad. You don't want shame. You it's, want to get rid of it. It's always <laughs> bad. And so I right. think right. we fail to realize that if I have done something wrong mm-hmm. and I am truly guilty of something, mm-hmm. shame is appropriate. Right. And because it's an emotion, right? and the emotion of function is to give me um, a message and yep. motivation yep. that, oh, I need to change. So if I've wronged you, you I feel ashamed that I've wronged you yep. and, and I you have make the it right. motivation to yep. go and say, hey, Krista, I'm sorry, I really dropped the ball in this. Yes. Shame is what enables me to do that. So if we get rid yes. of shame altogether, then... Well, we, then, yeah, well, actually, I was like, well, what happens if we get rid of right. shame altogether? And that's where I think you have more of like, a, you know, the psychopathic personality, right? <laughs> where it's just like, it's, you can't have relationships if you have no shame at all yes. because you don't care, right. right? So healthy shame is like, it makes you aware of others' needs. It makes you aware of like, did I wrong someone versus right. I'm just doing whatever I want all the time and I don't care. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there is a, there is a place for shame. Yep. And if you're feeling shame. Yep. You can ask yourself, okay, what is this really about? Am I guilty of something? Then yep. the shame is, I, yeah, I can. There is when a should is appropriate. I should right. go make amends. Right. Exactly. And when I've done something that that's not wrong and I feel shame, then should is toxic and mm-hmm. highly inappropriate. Yep. 
Yeah. A lot to say about shame. A lot to say about shame. And we can say a lot more. I know. You guys, just behind the scenes, like the making of, um, (laughs) the making (laughs) of Psyched for Psychology, when Brett and I are kind of setting up our topics, we're always like, man, we could, there's so much we can say. It's actually harder to like pare it down a little bit, right? It is. I feel a little bit of shame that (laughs) we're not able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Brett, don't should on yourself. Okay. It's a very (laughs) shoddy thing to do. Oh, man. Well, one last plug for humor. Um, Laughing at yourself is a really good way you can start counteracting the effects of toxic shame today. Because when we take ourselves too seriously, we're kind of listening to that voice that's like, you shouldn't, you should, you know. Mm. Um, So laugh at yourself if you trip and fall and do something embarrassing today. Right. And go back, (laughs) listen to some of our other podcasts about the benefits of vulnerability and is laughter really the best medicine? Yep. Uh, There's so many good ones. Hopefully you've got some tangible uh, things you can do to deal with shame and and help you understand a little bit about how shame is maybe having a negative effect and how shame can have a positive effect on your life. Yep. Well, once again, I'm Krista Overson, licensed marriage and family therapist at Nystrom and Associates, and I'm joined by Brett Cushing, licensed marriage and family therapist, and we're happy we could meet with you today, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, as always, for listening, and please be sure to leave us a review. While this podcast can't be a replacement for therapy, we hope you enjoyed our discussion today and join us again next time. Nystrom and Associates is always available to those who are struggling. If you find yourself in need of support and help, please check us out at nystromcounseling.com.